Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And many who are with us today, I think, had the opportunity to see the article either in the Greenfield Recorder or the identical article in the Daily Hampshire Gazette about a road gone bad. I think that was the title of the article uh, in a local town uh, where, well, there's a road. There's a bad road. There's an unfixed and perhaps unfixable road, which, among other things, uh, included the fact that it would cost for <clears throat> about a mile of this road a couple of million dollars to fix it. But that wasn't the most uh, intriguing and disturbing part of the article to me. It was that these road costs were not out of line with what it actually costs to repair and restore roads across the Commonwealth in cities and towns. And what we hear when we talk to the mayors and the town managers is <clears throat> people are always complaining about our roads and everyone else's roads, every other town's roads, are better and in better condition, which, as uh, Paul Bachman of Amherst pointed out to us, it's not actually how it works. It's towns keep their major thoroughfares in good repair as good as they can, and all the secondary roads go by the wayside. All that having been said, the roads always appear, not always, but certainly appear at the present time to be a major issue of discontent among voters. And so we have with us the person who is going to fix all this for us, State <laughs> Representative <laughs> Natalie Blay. Representative Blay uh, has a lot of roads in her district. Um, she does represent half of Greenfield, which I think is probably in as good a shape as any other or as bad a shape as any other uh, city or town in the area. But lots of roads in need of a lot of repair, which leads to a lot of voter discontent. So, Rep. Blay, help us out. Well, with that lead up... <laughs> How are you going to personally fix these roads? No, I, I, actually, I, I, I actually really would like to know more about this, and I think uh, it's a very important topic because I think it leads to a sense of whether government, government on the whole is being effective or not, and it's going to lead to the second topic we want to talk to you about today, which is the budget, the, the monetary shortfalls that the Commonwealth is, is facing. How are we going to spend millions of dollars really hundreds of millions of dollars for needed road repair when we don't have enough money for everything else in the budget. So let's start with the roads themselves. Why is this sure. such a perennial problem? Yeah. So first, uh, Dudleyville Road has been on my radar since I was first elected uh, in 2018 and sworn into office in January of 2019 because in 2019, the town of Leverett made the very difficult decision to close Dudleyville Road because it was impassable during mud season. And this roadway is used by both Shutesbury and Leverett uh, residents, and it's really a connector for those two communities. And at the time, a constituent living on the road reached out to express his concern. And he noted that it was impossible for emergency vehicles, school buses, propane deliveries, mail, etc. Uh, could not get to residents because they they had to abandon their cars uh, to get home. So this was this was a real problem for residents living on the roadway. Uh, it is the reason why I introduced a bill to, for the Commonwealth to begin to look at unpaved roads across the Commonwealth because they do make up a substantial proportion of the Commonwealth's roadways. Uh, we know that seven percent of local public roads are unpaved. That's nearly 2,500 miles. And 346 communities across the Commonwealth have some mileage 
of dirt or gravel road. Um, in 72 communities across the Commonwealth, 20% of their roadways are unpaved. And in 35 communities, over 40% of their roadways are unpaved. So there's a real need to look at how these mostly rural communities are going to be able to maintain these unpaved roads as we face more frequent storms uh, with climate change. And we're also seeing more frequent freeze-thaw cycles, you know, multiple freeze-thaw cycles. Uh, and Dudleyville Road is, is a case study in what a small community uh, is, is facing when it comes to maintaining this roadway. As you noted, it's a mile long. This project will cost anywhere from two to $4 million uh, to repair. And one of the things that shocks me most about this project, there are 28 culverts, 28 culverts in just that, my, it's 1.4 miles, I think, uh, of roadway on in this road in, in Leverett, 28 of them. Okay, so two to $4 million to repair a mile of road. Uh, yes. Striking to me is, outrageous as that amount sounds, I don't know if it's outrageous because it's probably just what it costs, uh, but expensive as that is, it's really expensive to repair roads, whether it's in a rural area or, or, or a municipality in towns or cities. It's a really expensive endeavor, and there doesn't seem to be any respite from that cost for the cities and towns, getting me to the larger question, which is not only your bill and paying for the road repairs in rural areas, but what about the rest of the Commonwealth? Everyone complains about the roads. It's like Mark Twain and the weather. Everyone talks about it. Nobody does anything about it. <laughs> and, and Representative Lay, before you answer, when you answer Bill's question, I thought that the infrastructure bill, the federal infrastructure bill, is going to provide a lot of resources for localities to do exactly what you're saying we need. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of that funding that's coming from the federal level is coming into the state and into uh, the TIP process. And the TIP process is something that happens in the region uh, that identifies roadways uh, for repair. Um, so those projects are already sort of in the pipeline and have been prioritized by uh by the by FERCOG and PVPC, their transportation Franklin uh, organization. Council of Governments, right? Yes, but that but that does not that funding is does not will not flow to local unpaved roadways. So sadly. <laughs> well, so so the saga of this one uh, front page story on both in both the Gazette and the Recorder does not get resolved by this. But uh, is, is this road going to be paved after all of this? By the way, we should, I guess, at least ask about Well, so that, Bill, it's a great question. So the community is going to have to decide how they want to proceed. You know, the, the low end is, is fully, all of the proposals require a complete full depth reconstruction of the road. Because what they found is that in some of these areas, the roadway has, it's built on peat. And so that's where we're seeing those really sloggy areas of the roadway where people's cars are bottoming out. Yeah, even for the uninitiated uh, liberal arts majors <laughs> among us, building a road on Pete sounds like a bad idea. Not good. It's not good. But, you know, back when the road was first made, they did what they had to do to, to construct this roadway. And so right now, the, the town is going to have to come together and residents are going to have to make a decision on whether or not they want to maintain 
the dirt road, which some people feel very strongly about, or if they want to pave it, which could have, you know, the effect of, uh, you know, declining how that rural character of Dudleyville Road. So this is a real debate <laughs> in in Leverett. To pave or not to pave, that is the yes. question. Whether it's nobler <laughs> to, to put in the paving and have to right. maintain it, or whether to have the sloggy... Uh, anyway, okay, uh, yeah, let's yeah, move yeah. on. Uh, I would like to go back to Buzz's point in question, which is, is there... Uh, help in sight for other roads uh, across the Commonwealth with this federal funding and or from the state? And I should add bridges as well, which is also a major yeah. problem. Yeah. So a couple of things. So, you know, I think what Leverett is, is looking at is, is piecing out these projects and looking at are there ways that we could do some culverts, some of the bridges, you know, bank stabilization. And so there are several different funding streams that we can look to in the Commonwealth. One of the ones that our common our communities really like because it's flexible and it provides a great deal of funding is the Municipal Vulnerability Preparedness Action Grant, uh, which can, we can, call can the you, MVP program. Can you, can you say that really quickly backwards, please? <laughs> uh, the MVP program is rightly named. It is the MVP of state programs when it comes to communities addressing climate change impacts. There's also the Mass Works program, which can help to provide funding. Uh, and there are a couple of other programs that Leverett is looking at. But I do want to note that in the governor's budget, H2, she did set aside $24 million specifically for rural roads. And this would be funded by the fair share amendment. This is really the first time we've seen a commitment from an administration to look at the very distinct challenges that rural communities are facing when it comes to maintaining you know, half of their roadway miles. So this was a really positive thing that we saw in the budget, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to get that through Hope, uh, as we continue on. Hopefully we will. I just want to point out, I, I read an article in The Globe, it was just three or four months ago, that pointed out that as we're talking about climate, as we're talking about having uh, cars that, that uh, aren't as reliant on fossil fuel, in order to streamline them so that they get good mileage, we lower the car closer to the ground which means when there's potholes and divots and everything else that we have in our roadways, those cars are more susceptible to broken axles and the like, broken whatever, um, than the taller cars that we're accustomed to driving, which are inefficient in terms of the fossil fuel use. So it's a conundrum we have to address. It's true. There are a lot of Prius stories when we attended the tie and bond. Uh, <laughs> in yeah, the Pri Prius owners are, are really relating to this <laughs> conversation. Uh, I being one of them. Uh, I'd like to I would like to uh, uh, ask one final question about this, which is, in sum, is there more money? Leave aside the rural roads for a second, because I can just hear people saying, yeah, fine. Everett's going to get a couple million dollars, or it won't really, but it's going to spend the money to do this road for a mile. What about all the roads in my town? Because they're a mess, and the secondary roads are, I think every city mayor uh, and town manager would say, yeah, they are. That's true. And, and mm -hmm. they often are, and they have been. Um, is there any relief, major relief insight on that? Am I reading you correctly that the governor's budget is helpful in that regard? It's something, but certainly not everything. Well, I think, you know, certainly for rural roads, that is an important first step. And the, munis the Massachusetts Municipal Association has long fought for more Chapter 90 funds. Uh, so we'll see where we end up when we go through the, the House budget. Well, 
the House and Senate budget hearings uh, and ultimately produce the House budget there. Chapter 90, we should point in, is the state law which governs roadways in, in the Commonwealth. Uh, Rep. Blay, we want to ask you about the governor's budget and the announcements this week about the continuing revenue shortfalls. How serious is this and how will it affect us? So uh, earlier this week, uh, we, the Joint Committee on Ways and Means had its first FY25 budget hearing where the governor did come before us to talk about her proposal, which is called H2. Um, and you know, the, the, the House Chair of the Ways and Means Committee said it, winter is, is not coming, it's already here. So as you noted, um, the budget revenues have been down. We've had seven straight months of below expected revenue uh, collections. I think the good news is, you know, we made these mid-year budget cuts, but now we are 10, what, April is 10 months in to the budget. So further budget cuts, you know, we're not, we're not expecting those. Um, but we're really looking at the, we'll be looking at that, those April tax collections to see sort of what's, what is the cause of these below expected revenue collections. Um, and certainly by October, uh, we will know more. Um, but for now, we're proceeding very cautiously with the FY25 budget. Uh, the consensus tax revenue number is $40.2 billion, which is $208 million less than FY24. So it's essentially flat. And I think if there's one good thing that we're seeing here is that we're not, it's not a decline. What we're seeing is flat as, as we're looking at the FY25 budget. Has there been some explanation why, given that the economy seems on the whole pretty good, both in Massachusetts and across the country, that our revenues, meaning Massachusetts, our state's revenues are falling? So that was a question that was asked of the Secretary of Administration and Finance at the Ways and Means hearing. Right now, he, he does not have a good explanation for it. Uh, but they will be looking at those April numbers to see if they can uh, get some more information about why we're seeing these declines. Well, if I could just, uh, this is Dan, if I could add some context to this. I was just reading an article the other day that says Max, Massachusetts tax collection came in at $268 million less than expected in January. So, I yeah. mean, if you look at that trajectory, I'm thinking there's likely to be more budget cuts or tax hikes in the future. Unless that's a sample size of one month. Right, but we're not, because of where we are in the FY24 budget, and we know that because April is that 10th month of the year, what people of our agencies have already spent the majority of that FY24 budget. So those cut, there's what's left to cut by that point in time. Um, so, I mean, I think the other, the good news of, as we're looking at the H2 budget, is as we're, we've talked about the fair share amendment on this show, uh, we, there, is a proposal to spend $1.3 billion of that fair share money. And a lot of it is going to you know, public higher ed. And I'm very proud to say that free school breakfasts and lunches are included in that, which is something that people are, are very proud of and here in the Commonwealth that we are doing that. We are speaking with State Representative Natalie Blay. She's the representative for the 1st Franklin District, which consists of about half of the city of Greenfield, and I will not ask her to repeat in reverse alphabetical <laughs> order. The other, what, 15 towns that you represent? 17. Uh, 17 towns that you represent. Uh, when we come back, we are going to talk about 
reparations, this being Black History Month, and what the Commonwealth is doing to address the issue of reparations. We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Representative Natalie Blay, representative for the 1st Franklin District. And we were talking while off the air about uh, what the process will be for uh, deciding the budget. Uh, Rep. Blay, you sit on Ways and Means. Uh, there are hearings that are going to happen. Tell us a bit about the process and how we can all be involved if we choose to be. Yeah. So there are seven or eight public uh, budget hearings that are held across the entire Commonwealth. Uh, and I was saying over the break, you know, Senator Cumberford and I are on the Ways and Means Committee. It's something that we just geek out on. They're so interesting and you can watch them on a live stream. Uh, those are available to watch if you're interested. Um, you can attend in person if you're interested. And um, it is an opportunity for the public to weigh in on what your budget priorities are. There is a final budget hearing at the, at the end that is just for the public. It is not focused on a specific topic area, um, but anybody in that can weigh in and that uh, happens at, at the end of, of this budget hearing process. Will there be hearings in Western Massachusetts? There will be. There will be one at Greenfield Community College. I don't have the date yet, um, but probably by next week, we should have the full schedule of hearings. Uh, Rep. Blay, I'd like to uh, turn to another topic, if I might, uh, one that is uh, of particular interest uh, to me because I uh, have the honor of having been appointed to the uh, Commission for the Study of Racialized Harms here in Northampton. And I recently became aware that there is a bill that has been introduced in the legislature for the study of reparations for the Commonwealth. And I'm wondering what you might be able to tell us about that and what its prospects are. And I emphasize it's for the study of the subject or the issue of reparations. It's not for reparations uh, in whatever form that might or might not occur in the future. But uh, interesting that the state is at least has this possibility of uh, what should be done or a study of what should or could be done under consideration. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. So Senator Liz Miranda introduced a bill on the Senate side and Representative Brandy Fluker Oakley filed uh, the House bill. The, the Senate bill is 1053. It's an act establishing a commission to study reparations in Massachusetts. The House bill is 3921. It's an act to cure us of the liabilities that ultimately restricted equity. And so both of these bills do call for the creation of a commission uh, that will be made up of academics and, and representatives from organizations um, and, and is really tasked with studying and developing reparation proposals uh, for African-Americans. Um, it's my understanding that the commission's focus would not only be on the impacts of slavery, but it would also look at the systemic racism uh, that we've seen across our nation uh, and would include looking at um, redlining, which is a discriminatory practice, uh, which includes the, the systematic denial of services like mortgages or insurance loans to residents based on their race or ethnicity. Uh, it would look at segregation and a number of other things. And the bill was initially uh, sent to the Joint Committee on the Judiciary, I believe. Uh, I 
did not see a report out of the bill. Uh, I take it that, therefore, the magic date in February, what is that rule? Um, <laughs> joint Rule 10 Day. Joint Rule 10 Day. That's the joint rule of the House and Senate, which says here's the date by which all committees will make a decision on the bills that have been assigned to them and on which they've had hearings. It's in early February, and the date has come and gone. And, well, some bills were ruled on, and some were, well, granted the committees granted themselves an extension until April, usually. Uh, so this bill, stand, what's the standing on this bill as, as far as you know? I just checked. I checked this morning on the status of the Senate bill, which has not yet been posted, but the House bill has been extended by the committee for consideration. Okay. So, uh, Representative Natalie Blay, we really appreciate your being with us. I, I know you need to get back to the uh, fixing of roads among other things. <laughs> but I really appreciate it. Yeah, that with my shovel, Bill. <laughs> You're going to get tarred and feathered. Well, <laughs> yeah, talk, talk, talk about people who are uh, handling a shovel. I've been with one this morning, that's for sure. We really, Rep. Way, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate your insights. It's good to see you all. Well, when we come back, we will be speaking with Max Page, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. We want to hear about the ramifications of the longest teacher's strike and the most expensive one in Massachusetts history, which we'll do right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.